0: 2, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, right uh, all about middle way through your Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, and then the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. And again, thank you for being in church. It's a tremendous crowd. And uh, we praise the Lord for his goodness and the good spirit here. And uh, thank you for being a part of the Lord's Day here at Lake Crest Baptist Church. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word, Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. And we'll begin reading at verse number 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we'll begin reading at verse number 12. The Bible says, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall be all forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? As the fool. Notice verse 17. Therefore, I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for being so good to us and so gracious and so kind. And Father, you're better to any of us than we deserve. We thank you for the health and strength to be in church this morning. I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments as we examine this scripture, as we look at the testimony of a man who had it all, and yet he said, I hated life. I pray that you teach us, instruct us. Uh, I pray that if there's one here who's not saved, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that if there's a Christian here who is uh, away from you, who finds himself uh, distant from the Lord. I pray that today would be the day where, uh, that brother in Christ or that sister in Christ is, uh, is brought back, uh, into fellowship with you. I pray these things in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The study of the life of King Solomon is, uh, is fascinating to say the least. Uh, by the way, let me, before I get into the message, let me say this. Thank you for your patience with us. Uh, I appreciate the fellows who've been working on our new uh, PA booth. It's uh, under construction now, and and it's starting to take take shape and so forth. But uh, there's a, somebody asked me what that was this morning. I said that's where we put all unruly teenagers during the Sunday morning service. It's a uh, it's a penalty box, and uh, and uh, once you go in, you have to stay there all Sunday afternoon. And uh, and uh, for a nominal fee, if your if your parents will see me, they can spring you out of there. Uh, but anyway, so, so anyway, But thanks to all the work and all the labor and toil uh, that has gone into that, we're looking forward to how God provides for that in the very near future. A study in the life of King Solomon is fascinating, to say the least. Solomon was born to King David and Bathsheba after the whole episode and uh, with uh, David and his sin with Bathsheba, and after David had repented of that sin, And uh, after he repented of the evil that he did to Uriah and having him murdered to try to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. After David passed away, it was Solomon who ascended the throne of his father. And God used him to do some incredible things. In fact, if you read uh, through uh, part of the book of 1 Kings and again in one of the books of the Chronicles... You'll find that it was Solomon who built the temple that David wanted to construct but was not, not allowed to do so. God said to David, you're a man of war and uh, I'm going to not build the temple during your lifetime. I'm going to use your son, Solomon, to build the temple. It was Solomon who impressed God by asking him for wisdom instead of riches or, or honor to defeat his enemies. Uh, it was uh, it was Solomon who did some incredible things. The Lord gave Solomon victory over his enemies, and and he did cause him to be the wealthiest king on the face of the earth. But if you take a look uh, a closer look at Solomon, uh, the story is uh, it, we see that it, it, there's a different side of Solomon. You see, in 1 Kings chapter eleven, we see a downward spiral in his life because the Bible says he took multiple wives. In fact. Hundreds of wives from countries and nations that he had conquered. In fact, uh, you need not turn to it. First Kings chapter 11, verse number 1, the Bible says, "...but Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, and Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites." And notice what it says. "...of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, "...ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you." For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, little g-gods. And it says, Solomon, clave unto these in love. You see, as as much good as Solomon did, as much as Solomon yielded himself to God's wisdom, as much as Solomon uh, humbled himself before the Lord, Solomon went through a time in his life when he backslid. When he strayed away from the Lord. And the Bible tells us very plainly that the cause of Solomon's backsliding was his associations. He met these uh, strange women. The word strange there means foreign or of a different land. In 1 Kings chapter 11 it says that Solomon uh, through all these lands that he had conquered as king of Israel... He took unto him wives, hundreds of them, from these strange countries, foreign lands. And these uh, women from foreign lands had foreign gods. They had uh, uh, idols. They had all kinds of images that they worshipped. They had all kinds of ideas uh, about, uh, uh, about uh, deity and so forth that was contrary to what Solomon knew was right. Solomon knew that there was only one God. And by the way, there is only one God. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But Solomon <coughs> was exposed uh, by his evil associations with these uh, women to these false gods. And Solomon found himself uh, worshiping and participating in these, uh, uh, in these false religions, these false gods. And so, uh, and in turning away from the Lord caused him a lot of heartache for the rest of his life. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9, the Bible says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Imagine that. God himself appeared to Solomon two times earlier in his life, and, uh, and had revealed himself to him twice, the Bible says. And yet, in spite of that, Solomon turned his heart away from Jehovah God and followed after the gods of these strange women that he had taken unto himself. From that point of his life until his death and the end of his kingdom, you read nothing of anything good, uh, notable, that Solomon did. That's interesting, isn't it? Here is a man who at one time was responsible for building the most beautiful building on the face of the earth and dedicating it to Jehovah God. He was responsible for accomplishing something that his father wanted to do but was not allowed to do. in that God said, okay, Solomon, I'm going to give you the wherewithal. I'm going to give you the manpower. I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you the materials. And all of it you're going to use to build a, a house in my name. And Solomon did that. Solomon, the man who, who uh, uh, humbly asked for wisdom from the Lord. And God gave it to him in, in response to his cry. This same Solomon now has turned his back on God. You know, that can happen to any of us. As good as God has been to you and as good as God has been to me, there is no one in this room, nor is there any Christian life who is beyond backsliding. None of us are immune to turning around and walking away from the God that we love right now. It's a scary thought. When you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, understand that Solomon was by this time in his twilight days. When you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, you'll find Solomon is an old man. And in the first several chapters, in fact, most of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking back on his life with remorse and regret. He's looking back on his life in the days, especially the days when he was away from the Lord, and he's trying to use this book of Ecclesiastes as a warning to his sons not to repeat the same mistakes that he made. You see, uh, Solomon had some, some, uh, some, some folks that were following him. He had some young men, his sons, that were coming in his footsteps. And by the way, hey, it behooves all of us, especially those of us who are parents, to walk plainly for the sake of our children. Somebody's following you. Hey, Dad, look behind you. Somebody's coming behind you. Hey, Mom, look behind you. Someone is following in your footsteps. You say, well, I have no children of my own. Certainly this doesn't apply to me. Someone looks to you for guidance. Someone looks to you for leadership. Uh, Many uh, of you are uh, grandparents, and uh, walk very plainly through these days of your life. Why? People are coming behind you. I'm simply saying Solomon uh, did not realize this when he was turning his back on God, but as an old man, he's pinning the words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, but he pins the words to the book of Ecclesiastes, and he's trying to get his sons to heed the warning not to follow in his footsteps as he turned his back on the Lord. He was not long for this life and he was used by the Holy Spirit to pen the words to an amazing book. He wrote them as a preface or a prologue to the Proverbs, and these words were directed to his sons. He didn't want his sons to repeat the mistakes of their father. And one of the saddest statements made in the book of Ecclesiastes is found in our text. Look back with me, if you would. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse number 17. One of the saddest statements in the entire book, maybe in the entire Bible, one of the saddest statements you'll find. Here's King Solomon, old man. He's not long for this earth. He's going to die in just a few months or uh, at most a year or so. And he is penning these words. And in verse 17 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he said, Therefore, I hated life. That's sad, isn't it? I hated life. Notice the irony here. The irony of someone who said, I hated life the wealthiest man on the face of the earth at that time was Solomon. I hated life. The man who had been the wisest on the face of the earth up until he made some unbelievably horrible blunders in judgment, but God had given him before that some incredible wisdom. And this is the same man who said, I hated life. The king of a nation for 40 years said, I hated life. The man who had everything that anyone would assume would make a person happy. And by the way, let me say this: what you think, what uh, what you may assume would make you happy, may not be what makes you happy. That's right. yeah. We talked about contentment in Sunday school this morning. You know, contentment. Paul said, I, "I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content." Happiness is not always derived in in methods that humanity assumes. You know, we think, well, if I have enough stuff, if I have enough money, if uh, if uh, if everything works out, we have this idea of what will what will make happiness in our lives, what will create joy. But understand something: Solomon had everything. There was not one physical material thing that Solomon could not get for himself. Not one. You talk about a luxurious palace in which he lived. You talk about all of the things that money at that time could buy that would make one happy. Solomon had it all, and yet he said, I hated life. The man who was adored by multitudes of people said, I hated life. The man whose resume included some pretty impressive accomplishments said, I hated life. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak on the subject how to hate life. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school this morning in church? <clears throat> How to hate life. Or I guess the underlying thought is we want to avoid being people who get to the end of our life and say, I hated my life. Well, what, a, what, a miserable, what a miserable existence. What a miserable thing to have said of you or to say about your own life. Man, I hated it. It's terrible. Why, Solomon? What went wrong? Everything was going so well for you, Solomon. What turned your life so sour that you felt the need to warn your sons against making the same mistakes that you made? You read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, my son, don't do this. My son, don't do that. My son, avoid this pitfall. Avoid that pitfall. What was it about Solomon that caused him to hate life? I want to share with you just several things as time allows this morning. Uh, Number one, I want you to see this. If you want to hate life, live only for yourself. If you want to hate life, and no one here, obviously, we're, we're speaking rhetorically here, because no one here sets out to hate life, okay? <clears throat> if I had a show of hands. How many of you would like to hate your life? I doubt anyone would raise your hand. <clears throat> Except for a few goofy kids who might end up in the penalty box this morning. I don't know. <clears throat> but, uh, but anyway. Uh, but <clears throat> nobody, nobody wants to hate life. So if you don't want to hate life... Live for someone besides you. If you want to hate life, live for self. The old wise man said, I did this for me and I did that for me. I went here and I gathered all I could. I planted gardens and I planted orchards and I made this and I did everything that would make me happy and kept back nothing from me that my eyes wanted. And I'm paraphrasing Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I I, I challenge you, scan through that passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and look at how many words you read, how many times you see the word I, me, me. My, I did this for me, and I did that for me, and I did this for me, and I did that for me. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. Hey, he became miserable because he became filled with himself. And that's a recipe for any of us to be miserable. To be filled with ourselves. You want to hate life? Live your life only For you, the first step in hating your life is simply this. Live for yourself and you alone. Hey, it wasn't always like that for Solomon. It wasn't always like that for Solomon. There was a day in Solomon's life when he actually cared about somebody besides himself. You see, there was a day when when he said, uh, or, or, or God came to Solomon and God said, Hey, Solomon, what do you want from me? Now, if God came to you and I and said, you have a blank check. You tell me what you want from me, God said, and I'll give it to you. Now, could God trust you and I for that? Probably (laughs) probably not. Well, let's see. God, now that you mention it. uh, No, no. But God trusted Solomon enough to say to him, Solomon, you can ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. This was Solomon in in his younger years as a young king. In fact, he was was brand new to the throne of Israel. His dad had just passed away. David was the man after God's own heart and had reigned in Israel for 40 years. And now Solomon has ascended the throne. And God comes to him and said, Solomon, you tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon so impressed God because Solomon's request was not for money, was not for wealth, was not for the lives of his enemies, was not for any of those things. Solomon said, God, I'm like a little child. God, I need understanding. God, you've given me this great responsibility, this kingdom that you've placed under my jurisdiction, under my care. And God, I don't know what to do. I've got to have wisdom from you to know how to lead these people because I want to be a good leader. I want, to, I want to be the kind of king that my people have what they, uh, that, that my people uh, have in me, what they need me to be in, uh, in their king. God, that's what I need. And God was so impressed with that request from Solomon as a young man that he gave him the wisdom that he asked for. Solomon became the wisest man who ever lived. The wisest man who ever lived. And in addition to that, because he didn't ask for wealth, God gave it to him. God gave him for far above what he asked for. I'm simply saying, there was a time in Solomon's life where Solomon did care about someone besides himself. And he did uh, do some wonderful things. He was a good king there for many years. Why? Because he was consumed with living for someone else. Oh, may may I encourage all of us this morning. That's where joy is found. Joy is not found in you getting all you can and canning all you get. Joy is not found in you uh, putting a circle around you and you are the center of your own universe. Oh, I wish I could get you to understand this morning that joy is found in Jesus and then others and then you. That's where joy is found. We think that somehow we're going to uh, uh, wrap ourselves in our own self-centeredness and and we're going to live all only for ourselves and that's going to somehow make us happy. Oh, no, it won't. Solomon said, when that began to characterize my life, when I got to the point where I quit living for others and I became all about me, he said, I hated life. I hated it. I hated it. You see... He said, God, I'm asking you for wisdom. I need it. I want to help others. God, uh, he found fulfillment there. He found uh, a, a wondrous joy in, uh, in living for others. And so, but, but whatever, whatever happened, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the day that he started worshiping those other gods. Maybe that's what turned his desires upon himself. But whatever it was, Solomon hated life when he lost his focus on others. I want you to see all of that. <clears throat> if you want to hate life, live only for this life. If you want to hate life, live for yourself and yourself alone. If you want to hate life, number two, live only for this life. Here he is at the end of his life. Looking back at verse number 14, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 14. The Bible says, Solomon speaking here, the wise man's eyes are in his head. But the fool walketh in darkness, and I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. What is it? What is the one event that happens to all of us? Death. The one event that happens to all of us. Unless Jesus comes back and raptures his church out of here, (coughs) that notwithstanding, all of us are going to die. Death happens to the rich. Death happens to the poor. Death happens, uh, doesn't, doesn't matter what your uh, social standing is. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. None of that matters. Death happens to everybody. And Solomon got to considering that. One day it dawned on him I'm going to die. And all that I have acquired in this life, just to make my life easier, is going to be gone. You know what? That's not a bad idea for all of us to consider. You know, I'm, I don't mean to be morbid this morning, but we're all going to die. Right. Death is just, it's part of life. It's, uh, it's, it's part of our existence. It, now, by the way, uh, death is not the end of anything. Death <laughs> is a door that swings open into eternity. And we'll, we'll get to that here in a few moments. <clears throat> but every, all of us are going to die. And understand something, ladies and gentlemen, all of us need to be reminded that life on this earth is temporary. Look, I know it's impossible to wrap our minds around the eternal, but that doesn't make it any less true. I've talked to people and, uh, and, and uh, kind of uh, uh, prompted the question, hey, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And uh, many of you have asked that question of, of others, <clears throat> and some people, they just don't want to go there. Right. I, I'd rather not talk about that. Well, that's fine. You don't have to talk about it, but it doesn't change the reality of it. This life is brief. This life is short. Over in the book of James, the Bible says, "What is your life? It is even a vapor that's here for a little time and then vanishes away. It's gone, just like that. A few moments. The older we get, the, the more we understand this truth that life is brief." You know, you young people, you uh, uh, children and teenagers and even uh, those in your young adult years, you look at your life and it seems like, boy, there's there's a long way out there. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of life to live. And uh, relatively speaking, that may be true. But once you get into your middle years and older, you look back and you say to yourself, where did it all go? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Where did the time fly? I mean, hey, I just, man, I, I just I just blinked and my kids were gone. I just blinked, and, you know, one day, you know, we carried one of them home from the hospital. The next day, we, you know, wow, he's he's out of high school. He's in college. You know, it doesn't make any sense to us. In some cases, you look back, and and, uh, you remember bringing yours home from the hospital. Now they've got teenagers of their own, and you're thinking, where has my life gone? That's the brevity of human life. It is short. It is even a vapor. Solomon finally understood one day that he had become so wrapped up in this life that he failed to invest in the never-ending life. It it dawned on him, hey, I have lived for all these things. Again, read it for yourself sometime in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he talks about all of his temporary earthly accomplishments and all the things that he did. And, and, And they weren't necessarily bad things, but it dawned on him, you know what? What have I done for the next life? Great question for all of us. Two men walked by the casket of their boss, who had become a wealthy businessman. And one of the men said to his co-workers as they stood there looking at the face of their deceased boss, and they, they looked at him, and one guy kind of nudged his uh, co-worker, and he said, uh, he said, how much do you think you left behind? And his co-worker said, all of it. All of them. You know why? Because it's true. You're taking nothing with you. Hey, <clears throat> you're going to leave it all behind. I'm simply saying if you want to make up uh, to wake up one day to a life that is totally unfulfilled and meaningless, here's how to do it. Don't do anything for anyone else. If you want to wake up one day to a life that is totally meaningless and unfulfilled, don't lay up treasures in heaven. That's what, that's what Jesus told us to do, did he not? Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is. He said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. Hey, let me tell you something. Uh, Oh, we may not be able to take anything with us, but we can send some things ahead. We can invest in that which is eternal. We don't have to get so wrapped up in the here and now that that's all we have to show for it is just the here and just the now. And when we step out into eternity, we have nothing to show for a life that was lived on this earth. I'm simply saying, if you want to live an unfulfilled and meaningless life, don't do anything for anybody else. Don't lay up treasures in heaven. Don't give anything to get the gospel around the world. Don't ever tell anybody about the Savior. Don't ever try to be an encouragement to anyone. Make sure that you can all you get and get all you can. And that's exactly what you're going, you're going to get to the point where Solomon was. My life just, just empty, just void, just vain. It's just, ah, it's just there. I hated life, he said. By the way, this message is a good reminder to all of us, the reason of why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? Hey, if you do what you do for man, you'll not do it for the long haul. You know, sometimes we, uh, well, we're we all, I'll mention, I may mention the message tonight, but we, uh, we get wrapped up in our motives for doing what we do. And sometimes we get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes on man. And we say, well, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I gotta, I gotta be at church because if I don't, I'll let someone down or the preacher man is going to be on, he's going to be on my case. <laughs> he's going to call me. Uh, no, no. Understand something. If you do what you do for man, you'll not do it very long. You'll become disillusioned. Hey, you'll become Disenchanted. Boy, we need to understand there's a God in heaven. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't feel him. We can't perceive him with the senses that we have. But hey, he's there nonetheless. And boy, we ought to understand that the life we live right now is living for his purposes. If you want to hate life... (laughs) Well, all you got to do is make sure that you only live for yourself. If you want to hate life, make sure that you live only for this life. And then I want you to see number three. If you really want to hate life, easy. Dismiss God from your life. Dismiss God from your life. You know, that's exactly what happened to Solomon. He dismissed God from his life. Now, I'm not saying (coughs) that. Solomon's in heaven right now. Solomon, he was a good man. Solomon was uh, uh, was uh, he was he was redeemed, okay. Solomon, I'm not saying that he uh, you don't lose your salvation, okay. That's not possible. Solomon was one of God's children. Understand that, but Solomon lost his relationship with the Lord. He lost the sweet fellowship that he had at one time. He lost the closeness of their uh, of their communion. God did not leave Solomon. Solomon dismissed God from his life. That's what happened. He dismissed God. And if you want to have a miserable life, why don't you just dismiss God? That's what he did. First Kings chapter 11, Solomon took on himself all these strange wives with their false gods and so forth. And Solomon uh, became tolerant of all of that, became tolerant in his thinking of all of the wickedness that they were involved in. And, and he backslid his own heart. And the Bible says that God's wrath, God's anger was kindled against Solomon because of all that. Now, thank God, Solomon came to his senses. But there was a time when he was backslid and walked away from the Lord that he loved at one time. I'm simply saying, why don't we understand the importance of keeping God right here? And by the way, let me say this. The Bible says that you're as close to God as you you, you want to be. Draw nigh to God, the Bible says, and he will draw nigh to you. That's what it says. If you find yourself distant from God this morning, it's not God who moved. Not his fault. If you feel like God's a million miles away from you, if you feel like you Pastor, I just don't know what happened. I find a little bit of my, my life in Solomon and looking at this morning, and, and I am unfulfilled, and I, I, I don't uh, have any fulfillment in life that I used to have. Pastor, what's wrong? It feels like God's a million miles away. God never moved. He never moved. Who moved? (laughs) I did, or you did, but it wasn't him. If we don't have that fellowship anymore that we once enjoyed, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. We need to put the blame where it lies this morning. Understand, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, toward the end of the book, we see where Solomon gets his act together, so to speak. Right at the end of the book. Here's what he says in verse 13, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. That's the next to last verse in the whole book. Solomon, he got his act together. Boy, he got back into fellowship with God. He got back into obedience to the word of God. He got back into that, that uh, spiritual rhythm that he, that he ought to have had all along where he, he and God walked closely together. And as Solomon pins the last words of the book for his sons to read, I can imagine a tear of regret rolling down his cheeks as he remembered some wasted years. Wasted years. The songwriter said, Wasted years, wasted years. Oh, how foolish. You know what's so foolish about wasted years? It's unnecessary. Hey, <clears throat> I, I, uh, I detest this, um, this mentality, especially among young people who, have the, who get this mindset that, hey, while I'm a teenager and while I'm a young adult, I can just do my own thing, and one day I'll get right with God when I become an adult and have to get serious about life. Why don't you give God the best years you have? Amen. By the way, in that same chapter... He talks about remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Solomon wrote those words to his son. Why? He didn't want his sons to repeat the same mistakes that he made. He didn't want his sons to live for self. He didn't want his sons to forget about eternity. He didn't want his sons to dismiss God from their life. He wanted his sons to live life to the fullest. And here, if you want to live life to the fullest, why don't you make sure God is included in on it? Don't dismiss God from your life. Don't say, I can handle this on my own, Lord. I got this. We get all self, uh, uh, self-serving. self We get self-sufficient, don't we? Oh, you know, you know, God, I can handle this by myself. You know, we read it in Sunday school this morning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. You put those two words, through Christ, in there, that's what makes the whole verse. Because if Paul said, I can do all things that's pompous, that's arrogant, that's prideful... and it ain't ain't happening Jesus said without me you can do nothing and here is Solomon in in his dying days on this earth and after he has gone through a period of I don't know probably 10 or 15 years as best we can uh, uh, calculate through the scriptures and so forth for 10 or 15 years there's a window there where he was distant from the Lord and now he's back and with tears streaming down his face, uh, face I can imagine him saying you know what Don't dismiss God. Don't leave God out. Hey, if you've wandered far away from the Savior this morning, there are are people in the sound of my voice this morning, you are saved, you're on your way to heaven, but there's been times in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now. There was a time in your life when you felt His presence and you were faithful and you you did what you were supposed to do and, and, uh, and, and God was more than just... Somebody way out there. No, he was right there. Boy, life was sweet. And, and those were the best days of your life. Can I tell you something? It can be that way again. Because you're as close to God as you want to be. Draw nigh to God. And the Bible says he will draw nigh to you. Can you see yourself in Solomon's statement? Was there a time when you were close to God and you moved away from him like Solomon did? If that's true, why don't you come back this morning? Hey, won't you come on back? Hey, uh, uh, come now and reason together. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. God said, hey, come on back. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's reconcile. Let's get back to where you once were. And then this last statement I want to make is this if you want to hate eternity, reject Jesus as your Savior. You see, Solomon, he. Echoes his own words of remorse there in Ecclesiastes 2.17 where he said, I hated this life. But you know what? Solomon went to heaven. Solomon went to heaven. And if... It's one thing to hate this life because of poor choices on the part of those of us who are saved, but it's another thing altogether to hate eternity because you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, let's set aside all of the talk about hating this life right now. Let's talk about eternity for a moment. Because if you die without uh, receiving Jesus Christ, accepting Christ as your own personal Savior, not only are you going to hate this life, but even worse than that, you're going to hate the life to come because it's eternity in hell without Jesus Christ. Nothing's worse than that. Hey, that's, that, that's far worse than anything that I could describe. The Bible talks about a real place called hell, and it's not a pleasant discussion. But understand something. Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. You know why? Because he didn't want anyone to be miserable for eternity. He didn't want anyone to be uh, plagued by the fires and the worm that dieth not in the lake of fire. Jesus loves people. And not only does he not want you to hate this life, he doesn't want you to hate the life to come. And that happens as a result of you rejecting him as your only way to heaven. Two people, there's two, two groups of people in this room this morning. There's one group of folks, you've received Christ, you know you're on your way to heaven, that's not an issue, that's all settled. It's all all taken care of. It was taken care of on the day, the moment that you, by faith, received Christ as your Savior. And then there's another group of people here. You're not sure about that. You don't know that heaven is your home because you're not exactly sure where you and Jesus stand. You can't remember a time when you asked the Lord to save you. May I say this morning, this would be the greatest day in all the world if you'd received Christ. Christ. Because not only would you receive the wherewithal to have a productive this life, but oh, the life to come. The life to come. Solomon said, I hated life. I hated it. I hated it when I began to live for myself. I hated life. I began hating life when I forgot about the life that's to come. I hated life when I dismissed God from my daily routine of life. I started chasing other gods. I started chasing other things. I had replacements for God in my life. Can I tell you something? There's nothing that's a worthy replacement of God in your life. I'll promise you that. But the ultimate, the ultimate in misery for any human being is to reject Jesus Christ in this life and spend eternity in a place called hell. Don't do that. Receive Christ. Receive Christ. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.